Good morning, Memphis. This is Bishop Phoebe Rofe of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, welcoming you to Faithfully Memphis. Every Thursday morning here live from Crosstown Concourse, we have the opportunity to interview a person to learn more about their work, their life, and the role of faith. Um, So October of 2020 was both the start of WYXR and the start of Faithfully Memphis. So happy first anniversary to this amazing radio station uh, here in Memphis and also to our radio show. So for our, to our faithful listeners who've been with us on this journey every Thursday morning for the past year, we want to thank you for all the support that you have given us and um, all the old episodes of this show can be found on the Diocese of West Tennessee's YouTube page in case you want to go back and see any of the archives. So we normally start the show with a saint of the day. Um, And saints are really ordinary persons like you and me who have done amazing and extraordinary things in their lives. And tomorrow, October the 15th, will be the feast day for Teresa of Avila. Teresa was born in Spain in the year 1515, so almost 600 years ago. As a child, uh, she was raised in a Christian household, and after her mother's death, when she was 11 years old, her father placed her in a convent to continue her education. Uh, She had a series of major health issues throughout her life, So she did have to leave her studies to go home and recuperate. And during her recovery, she decided that she wanted to completely dedicate her life to God and become a nun. Now, her father was opposed to this decision, but she persevered and she became a postulant, uh, one of the early stages of becoming a nun at a convent when she was 20 years old. Uh, But then again, um, she got very sick, and she had to go home for three years to recuperate. So when she returned to the convent, uh, you can imagine having had all of those obstacles. She was completely dedicated to her life there. But over time, she began to feel as if um, the, the way in which the members of the community were living their lives wasn't quite uh, I don't know if strict is the right word but disciplined enough and so she decided to create a whole new order of nuns who lived a life of absolute poverty and they would renounce all property or possessions she really believed that was an important part of removing the distractions to things that take us from the love of Christ So she traveled throughout Spain for 25 years and established 17 convents. And in the process, she really became a leader in a movement of sort of spiritual renewal and monastic renewal. Uh, Despite the many demands of her administrative and missionary work, she found time to write numerous letters. And it's from those letters that we really have a lot of insight into her 
her thinking, her theology, and her personality. Her extensive correspondence often kept her awake until two and three in the morning, but she would always get up with the community at 5 a.m. for her prayers. And her fellow sisters, her nuns, urged her to write down some of the teachings on prayer and what it meant to live a life of dedication and devotion to Christ. And she did. And so there are a couple of books, um, The Interior Castle and The Way of Perfection, that we still have today of her writings. You know, at that time, uh, there was a common belief that prayer was somehow... Uh, too difficult or even dangerous for women to do. But Teresa completely disagreed. And she wrote in one of her letters, and I quote, mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him whom we know loves us. So I think based upon that definition of prayer, any person of any age, of any background, can certainly have an intimate sharing with God and take time to frequently be alone with him. So Teresa uh, died in the year 1582 following uh, another illness. But in spite of all of the trials and tribulations of her life, she was really a testament to what it means to focus on Christ completely, and she encouraged others to do the same. So on this day, we want to remember Teresa of Avila. Uh, in recognition of the first anniversary of WYXR, which is a nonprofit community-based radio station here in Richmond, they are in the middle of a pledge drive. Uh, we have collected 58% of the goal for this pledge drive and I have found this radio station to be an amazing source of all things Memphis music and these DJs go back in the vaults and pull some classic gems out so uh, in addition to having the radio show here with the diocese I just enjoy listening to the station uh, in all different days to hear the wonderful music. So there are three ways that you can give. You can always visit wyxr.org if you wanna make a pledge donation online, or you can call or text donate, D-O-N-A-T-E, to 901-460-3031. So I encourage you to please make a donation if you find uh, this radio station helpful. So this morning, um, my special guest in the studio is Quincy Jones. He is the director of programs for Neighborhood Preservation Inc., which is a Memphis-based nonprofit organization that works to remove systemic barriers to revitalizing neighborhoods. Uh, Quincy manages the Frazier Neighborhood Initiative, which is a multi-year project aimed at revitalizing the structures in one of Memphis's most economically challenged communities. And prior to coming to NPI, he did a number of things, including managing a $22 million federal HOPE grant for the Memphis Housing Authority, which successfully developed 400 units of mixed 
finance apartments and townhouses near downtown Memphis. Uh, Quincy has a BA in Urban Studies and Public Policy from Dillard University in New Orleans and a Master's in City and Regional Planning from the University of Memphis. So Quincy, welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Bishop. It's Happy gr- to be here. Great. So you are a native Memphian, is I that am. correct? I am. So could you share with the listening audience a little bit about what it was like to grow up in Memphis? Oh, well, Memphis is an amazing city, and, and I have to say that having, uh, as you indicated, being a native Memphian and then obviously living outside of Memphis and having the opportunity to come home. Um, and, you know, I attribute uh, my growth in this city and just my matriculation as a young adult um, when I was growing up here as wanting to learn and find out more about urban planning, which is the profession that I chose to go into. So Memphis served, you know, as a great uh, guinea pig, if you will, or a, a base community to help me understand urban planning, uh, real estate development, the challenges that many cities have and many communities have. You know, that, 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 uh, that hunger was birthed by Memphis, wow. by my experience growing up here. Wow. So I'm, I'm very proud and very happy of my hometown, and I just feel tremendously blessed to have the opportunity to work with NPI and a number of things that we do um, to support community organizations just at the base and the grassroots level. That's great. So before we go to um, NPI, you sure. and I share a Louisiana connection. All right. You went to Dillard, and I lived in New Orleans for 13 years. That place still has a part of my heart. Yes. Uh, do you still have friends and connections in the Big Easy? Many, many in the Big Easy. In fact, <laughs> I'm there, and prior to COVID, uh, I was there about three to four times a year, my wife and I. You know, my wife is not from New Orleans, not from Memphis, but she is an, an advocate of traveling. So yep. <laughs> we would get down there just a number of times a year and just, you know, love and blessings to everybody out there who's going through the storms exactly. and just the challenges that that New Orleans continuously have. But nevertheless, a fantastic city. I always tell people that Memphis raised me and New Orleans made me. There you go. (laughs) Definitely my second most favorite city in the world. Well, I tell you, with those two cities, you cannot go wrong at all. Absolutely. So moving to MPI, um, in case some members of our listening audience are not familiar with this Mm -hmm. organization and the work, can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about NPI and what it is you all do? Yes, thanks so much. So NPI is a nonprofit uh, that's privately funded here in Memphis. It's been around just over 10 years. And our our direct um, action and what we do is work through strategic methods towards the elimination of blight. And when we talk about blight, uh, I'll define that is that which causes the detriment or the uh, the down the downing of properties and the physical infrastructure here in the city. So doing everything from finding out how we go after these vacant properties mm-hmm. that might be 20% occupied in apartment complex where the families are living in mold or asbestos, mm-hmm. um, as well as being the you know the financial um, entity and agent to help cure a lot of these troubles. So you know we've had uh, home loan repair programs for Fraser as a part of our Fraser Neighborhood Initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got teams that work directly on the emergency rental assistance on the times of COVID where many people are facing eviction. So we've partnered with Shelby County and a number of entities. We've also partnered with the University of Memphis Law School um, and the Blight Clinic just to talk about ways that we eliminate systematic blight and work with code enforcement and various other um, entities and organizations here throughout Memphis to, to not necessarily do the work. We don't do the nuts and bolts of it, but we do serve as the facilitator to bring all of these 
parties together. So I like to think of NPI as almost like a think tank. Okay. Uh, we jokingly say that the NPI, even though it's Neighborhood Preservation Inc., we like to say that it serves uh, a networking policy and innovation. And those are the three things that we do. We try to network to come up with effective policy to create change and help the environment mm -hmm. and come up with innovative ways. So thinking outside of the box. So everything with our blight elimination steering team, mm -hmm. um, which uh, works with four specific committees to figure out how do we attack these problems that are shaping the community that Memphis is struggling with. And we've also served uh, as advocate to community organizations and just giving them several um, mechanisms and efforts to operate and finance and helping them find resources to correct a lot of the community ills that that are shaping and unfortunately affecting uh, Memphis neighborhoods in a negative way. So we, we're up to our sleeves in a, in a yeah. gang of activities. Wow. So, um, you know, if, if this is your field, I'm sure there's research. What are um, the ramifications, the, the impact of having neighborhoods with significant blight? What sort of toll does that take, not just on the people who live there, but yes. the larger community? So the larger community as a whole, you think about a blighted piece of property. Well, if that property is filled with trash and litter, chances are there's no one living there. Right. So more than likely you might have a parcel that is years behind on taxes. Mm -hmm. So obviously that affects the city and the county. You know, one of the, the chief ways that a government or an, or an entity or a municipality is able to raise money is through its ability to tax. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a vacant and abandoned property, obviously that's fallen behind in taxes, there's no money being paid there. Mm -hmm. Well, if there's a structure there, um, that owner is not making money off that property. So there's lost revenue there. And probably the biggest impact to the community as a whole is that if you do have someone living there and they're living in poor conditions, what's happening to the children? What's happening mm -hmm. to the families? No one wants to live in deplorable conditions. So there's just a tremendous mm -hmm. aspect uh, socially, uh, health-wise, economically. You can just go on and on and on for yeah. the long-term ramifications that blight and dilapidated and, and deteriorated properties mm -hmm. uh, just affect the community. Everything from the school system, so on yeah. and so forth, where kids live and kids are walking back and forth and seeing these uh, these um, yeah. bad developments in their neighborhoods. Yeah. So it's just a tremendous impact that's extremely long-term. So there's certainly a lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah. So as an advocate in this area, you know, what are the possible sources of resistance to trying to improve the situation? Because I would think that anyone driving through a neighborhood, whether you live there or not, and you see the blight and the deterioration, I think we probably would hopefully all agree this is a problem that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. You know, what are some of the things that make it difficult to do that? Well, you know, uh, Bishop, there's, you know, sometimes everyone doesn't understand uh, what creates a troubled property. Okay. And so there are things that we, we all can do. And some of that um, is education um, to people who rent properties. Mm -hmm. um, some of it is, you know, explaining to, you know, there's a reason that, you know, code enforcement says that your, your grass can't grow <laughs> to a certain right, height. Right, right. Um, there's a reason that you shouldn't park your car on the front lawn. But also, uh, you know, there are more systematic problems. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a number of challenges that are related to that. You know, in, in many cases, we have, you know, these out-of-town LLCs or entities uh, that own parcels in right. Memphis. You know, Memphis went through a tremendous foreclosure crisis. So what we saw as a result of that is a number of entities, a number of investors, many times who have purchased properties in Memphis in bulk. So in a lot of neighborhoods like Frazier, Whitehaven, Hickory mm -hmm. Hill, you've seen these apartment complexes that have been vacant or not even half full, filled for years. And so, so some of those are challenges and some of that can be implemented through, you know, more government practices, 
um, you know, developing standards and conditions. You know, we put out a list every year of the 10 most troubled properties in Memphis. Mm -hmm. So some of it is just bringing awareness to people to saying this is not the way to do this or making it difficult for for bad investors mm -hmm. to come in and purchase properties. You know, how do we find these people? You know, right. if they're overseas or if they're in California, in many places, in many instances, these people have never set foot in Memphis. Got it. They just see a really cheap property and they think they can turn right. and get some cash flow going. And that's simply not the case. So, you know, we have to make sure that we have a responsible awareness of the community, a responsible awareness of our business partners, and making sure that, that the government, in many cases, the city of Memphis and Shelby County, are actually in a position to be aware of these happenings mm -hmm. and ways to address them. And that's one of the things we try to do through the Blight Elimination Steering Team is serve mm -hmm. as a roundtable, a it. discussion point where people can interact and have that conversation. Got it. And are any of those conversations sort of open to the public Absolutely. or can people sort of log in? And I wonder, uh, with COVID, how has that impacted your work over the past 18 months? Oh, it's been a tremendous impact. And yes, so people can reach us at npimemphis.org to find more about a lot of those elements that I was explaining. Um, but, but the tremendous, uh, the, 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 the fact with COVID is that, you know, what we've seen happen this year, we've gone virtual. So our Memphis Neighborhood Preservation Summit, which just ended on yesterday, actually, okay. has gone virtual. Okay. And so we've had our committees doing pre presentations about the various efforts. So we've been using Zoom and other social media efforts. And then we've still been doing a few things in person. We've started to just recently to bring some of our speakers and some of our experts back in town to help us work through a lot of the, 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 um, <coughs> the problematic um, <coughs> entities that we're working on, a lot of the objectives that mm -hmm. we have going. Um, but, you know, we've gone virtual in lieu of COVID. And so there's been an impact where we haven't been able to get out in the community right, as much. Right. But it's also, you know, allowed us to literally step our games up and be innovative, yep, as I mentioned, yep. and find new ways that we can bring the message to the people. And so we've been using a number of uh, resources via Twitter, Facebook, social media, via Zoom, and just making sure that we keep bringing uh, the conversation back to the people who would be partners in those community agencies who would like to be involved in the things that we're doing. Got it. So you've mentioned, I guess, the city of Memphis and Shelby County. Are there yes. other partner organizations that Absolutely. you all do a lot of work with? Absolutely. Who are you collaborating yes. with? So Clean Memphis, which obviously okay. promotes a lot of community cleanups at the grassroots level. Uh, Comcap Partners, which is a small boutique real estate development firm here that does a lot of assistance with financing and coming up with mechanisms to where we can go after tax credits to rebuild these properties. Uh, there's also Habitat for Humanities, mm -hmm. who we were able to rehab and uh, redevelop about 30 homes with. Um, we also had a partnership with the Fraser Community Development Corporation mm -hmm. where we provided direct funding also in that Fraser Neighborhood mm -hmm. Initiative target area. So any grassroots organizations, uh, some of those are more formal relationships right. with, but I mentioned also we've served as advocates for a lot of organizations and these are sometimes small community block groups who call us up or we've literally had people come knocking on our door, mm -hmm. door and say, hey, we see your sign says Neighborhood Preservation uh. Inc. You know, we've got this locally unwanted land use or we've got this developer that we don't think is necessarily doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Can you guys assist us? And take a look at this. So, you know, we've partnered also with the Works CDC, mm -hmm. which we're actually moving into a merger with next okay. year. Yeah. Yeah. So the Works CDC, uh, which came out of St. Andrews AME Church in mm -hmm. South Memphis, which has done just a tremendous job of rehabbing multifamily and single family mm -hmm. properties, is going to be, you know, the organization that we'll be a part of next year. And, you know, while they're doing the nuts and bolts of development, they've never done policy. Okay. And we've never done the nuts and bolts of development that they do. So it's going to be a tremendous merger yes. that is going to bring two organizations together that is going to be really an aid to the mm -hmm. community 
and an assistance to a lot of organizations who are doing things at the community and at the neighborhood level. So we're really excited about that change coming up in 2022. Wow, that sounds like a win-win for yes. both organizations. We think so. We think yeah. so. So before the show began, before we got on the air, you and I were talking a little bit about um, your faith journey and um, your church home here in Memphis. And I wonder, um, does your faith uh, play a role in motivating you to pursue this line of work? I mean, you know, with your educational background, you could have done so many different things. Mm -hmm. So what role does faith play in all this for you? Well, faith, uh, my faith as a Christian is my guiding light. Um, you know, I'm very forthcoming and outright about that, and I think mm-hmm. we have to be if we call ourselves Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I, I would just go a step further and say that, you know, it, there comes a time in your life, you know, when you're going through, uh, you know, matriculating, you're becoming a young adult, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're getting your education, you're figuring out what you want to do. You know, there are all of these options that are at your disposal mm-hmm. at times. Um, but, and, you know, I mentioned to you earlier off air that, you know, I've lived outside of Memphis. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I feel that it's been uh, not only a blessing, but a calling for me to do what I do in my hometown, having lived yeah. in New Orleans, having lived on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and having had the opportunity to experience urban decay and, and blight and just challenges and just knowing uh, just what a lot of the intrinsic barriers are to developing neighborhoods and strengthening communities. But to be able to come home mm-hmm. and do that in the neighborhood, in Frazier, where I grew up, uh. and being able to do it in a community uh, around my family and my friends and the people. I've, I mean, that's that's a spiritual calling for me. Everyone yes. doesn't get that opportunity. Yes. So, you know, I'm thankful every day for yeah. the opportunity, for the work that I have and, mm-hmm. and what I'm able to do through my work with wow. NPI. It's a blessing. That's amazing. So I'm thinking, you made me think about um, in the Gospel of Luke, yes. when Jesus, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, um, goes home. Mm-hmm. Uh, hometown boy and mm-hmm. walks into the synagogue and you know picks up that scroll and reads from the prophet Isaiah mm-hmm. and wasn't so well received right. you know right. sometimes when we come home it can be difficult for people to sort of see us in a different light yes do you feel like your Memphis community has embraced you coming back and entering into this work yes I do I do and the other thing that it provides an opportunity for I think that my experience outside of Memphis provides an opportunity for me to share some of those experience to my native Memphians to many and many times who haven't lived outside of the cities and so they may not know or they may not be that open to other entities or other strategies or other ways to change and improve their neighborhood and so it's an opportunity to share which is a part of our faith right yeah you know so it's an opportunity to share with them my experiences and why I do what I do but yeah the Memphis community has been great and you know the the biggest thing about Memphis is that we're friendly and kind people at heart um, because we're southerners but we also want to know that the people who are in our neighborhoods are there to help us and that they're genuine because many times you know that just hasn't been the case or there have been just so many systematic challenges and barriers that people have had to get through and so addressing the issue of poverty through blight is something that we try to do on a diligent basis but you have to meet people where they are exactly and so you know it's it's an humbling experience for me and just a tremendous opportunity and a blessing to be able to do something in the neighborhood that I grew up in in the place that I call home yeah um one of the things that attracted me to come to Memphis in 2019, since I'm not from here, mm-hmm. is the fact that it's big enough to have a great diversity of arts and all sorts of things. Yes. But it's small enough that one person can honestly have an impact. Absolutely. And if you really want to be a part of the solution, 
you know, you can do that in Memphis. Yes, yes. And not only that, and we all have a part to play. I yep. mean, there, there's something that, you know, the kid who goes to school, everything from picking up a piece of paper off the ground to, um, you know, people who are, are, are not native Memphians or but are people who are growing here, they can share their experiences. Mm-hmm. And then people like me, you know, who've lived outside of the city who are native Memphians to just give back and to go back into the neighborhoods that we grew up in and some of our troubled communities and have an involvement. So there's an opportunity for everyone out there to get involved in the community at the base and grassroots level and just do some great things. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, next year, sort of this this partnership, this merger. Yes. Um, in addition to that, um, are there any other things on the horizon yes. for MPI? Sort of like your dream list of, of projects that you could do or new things that you yes. would really like to pursue? Absolutely. So we're working on a huge project in partnership with the Klondike Smoky City CDC which is one of the oldest African-American neighborhoods in North Memphis. Hmm. Um, so we're re- redeveloping <coughs> in partnership with Ms. Quincy Morris there, who is the, um, the local executive director there. We're helping them get off the ground. They've been around 10 years, so mm-hmm. they're really off the ground. But we're helping them strategize and shape the way that that community is going to look hmm. in the next few years. So we're looking at various methods of bringing in forth um, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking um, <clears throat> at the redevelopment of Northside High School, mm-hmm. which is gonna be de- developed as a as this massive community a redevelopment facility that is gonna have a number of community partners and agencies involved in it. And so that's a really huge project that's on the horizon. Okay. <clears throat> also, the Fraser Neighborhood Initiative is still ongoing. The Renaissance at Steel Apartments is a brand new 146 unit community that just opened up in January of this year and, always, and is already about 97, 98% oh. leased up. It's affordable housing. Um, you've got one, two, three bedroom apartments there. Um, they're quality class A apartments, mm-hmm. I like to call there. We've also um, got a number of other properties that we're looking at in that neighborhood and in that immediate area in our partnership with our organizations and looking at redevelopment and strengthening that community that's around a lot of the schools. So mm-hmm. Whitney Elementary, MLK Preparatory. You know, We went into the Fraser Neighborhood Initiative with the mindset that we've got kids that are going to school in a neighborhood, but they're seeing uh, dilapidated right. and deteriorated housing on a daily basis. So that redevelopment of Renaissance at Till Apartments is the first effort to redevelop that community and bring back quality, affordable, safe residential housing and bringing a strength in residential communities back into that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can do that all over Memphis one yeah. day. We wanna expand this horizon and just go forward and do this. As you know, there are many communities in Memphis who need this type of yes, help. Yes. So if someone is listening and they really are thinking, wow, is there a role that I can play to get more directly involved? Are there, I'll just use the the phrase for lack of a better word, volunteer opportunities or advocacy opportunities that a person could plug in through through MPI? Absolutely, and they can email me directly at quincy at npimemphis.org or you can find us at npimemphis.org. But we've actually got a community cleanup that's coming up in Klondike. Um, and if you'll email me, I'll tell you the exact location. <laughs> um, it's coming up in Klondike this Saturday. It's oh, gonna great. be taking place there. So we're gonna be going around the neighborhood and doing some great things to spruce up the neighborhood. Um, we're also working with a number of our community uh, partners on ongoing efforts to just clean up lots mm-hmm. and just finding out ways that we can be uh, strategic and just you know outright and forthcoming and addressing issues before they get into the bad or state or the bad state of things, right. so to speak. So a tremendous number of opportunities out there. Please feel free to reach out to us at MPI anytime. We're here to help. That's great. And the weather has been so great. It has, the past week. It let's, has. let's keep our fingers crossed that right. Saturday will be a great day to be out there yes, and doing that. Yes. 
Well, you know, we're like almost 18 months into this COVID pandemic, and mm-hmm. I never thought in March of 2020 that we'd be here. It's almost October. I mean, almost, November. Almost two almost, years. Yeah, almost two years, but here we are. So there has been so much negative and, and sort of pain and suffering. But Quincy, I wonder, what has given you a sense of hope uh, over the past 18 months to not allow you to go into a sense of despair, but to really be optimistic about the future? Well, you know, uh, as Christians, we really don't have that opportunity to be doubtful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my faith uh, leads me and, you know, I believe that a better day is coming. Um, I believe, obviously, in a higher power mm-hmm. um, through my relationship with uh, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And, you know, just knowing that, you know, the Bible speaks of troubled times. Mm-hmm. So we should know that we're going to have these obstacles. We should know that, you know, every day is not going to be a sunny day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have to keep our, our, our mindset on tomorrow and working to help our common man and just having, you know, that belief and knowing that there will be trials and tribulations and that prayer, as you indicated mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. Um, is the way to get through this. Um, And so, you know, just, you know, staying focused on, you know, a better tomorrow. And, you know, and a lot of the work that we do is indicative of that. You Mm -hmm. know, you know, we we've seen we've seen challenges. We've seen, uh, you know, trials and tribulations. You know, we've gone through, you know, a a number of situations where we've been able to turn around dilapidated communities. And just like we've been able to do that, we believe we'll be able to get through COVID and have a better day. So, you know, we're we're maintaining that same thought process and being steadfast. And that's what encourages me. Great. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing in MPI to really make Memphis uh, a wonderful place for everybody. Thank like you for having me. The most vulnerable members as well as those who are doing well. Absolutely. And congratulations on the anniversary of the show on the radio station. We want to give thanks to uh, WYXR's fabulous uh employee Shelby who sort of just flipped on a dime and when we had our technical difficulty with the computer uh, pulled up that hymn on her cell phone and plugged it right in. So again thank you for listening to another uh, edition of Faithfully Memphis uh, hosted by the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Uh, We look forward to having you with us next week at the same time. Um, And until next week, my sisters and brothers, stay safe and stay positive.